episode one, how do I tell my kids what it means to be black? With nearly his last breath, I heard George Floyd cry out for his mother. It was in some ways a cry heard around the world. And as it can be seen on many protest signs, a quote, all mothers were summoned when George called out for his mama. One of the most vulnerable moments in this time is seeing parents openly share all of the fear that goes along with parenting a black child in America. All of these unwritten rules about how to interact with the world as a black human, and especially with police, starting from a very, very young age. It's called The Talk. I'm Ariel Sky Williams. I'm eight years old. I'm unarmed and I have nothing that will hurt you. I freeze up every time I think about the talk, mainly because I have four children, including three young black sons, and I'm very behind. I've not had the talk, and I know how that sounds. But I did tell you in the beginning, I'm the exact opposite of an expert. Today I'm talking with Shantae, a beautiful black woman and my best friend over 20 years. And she's gonna share her experience as a black parent in America. Thank you for coming. That's friend. I know. We're we at, are in the lab. <laughs> We're in very, the lab. It's very fancy, <laughs> let me tell you. State of the art equipment. I think of any of the black women that I know, your story with Journey, who's now your 18-year-old son, is probably for me one of the most relevant stories about raising a black son and really living with a true and almost palpable daily fear about his life. But before we get into that, I want you to share with me, as a black parent, what were the most important things for you to teach all of your kids just coming in from the jump? Every black mama pretty much know there are certain rules that you go down every day. Every time your, your children want to walk out the door, I tell my sons, I tell my daughters, make sure that you're aware of what's going on around you. Make sure if you go to a store, you don't, you're not taking your hands out of your pocket. Just that you make it almost like a friendly eye contact with them. And it's not about that my kids are scary because my kids are big. Journey is... <laughs> you know, six two life, my daughter, she's, you know, five eleven, you know. Oh my goodness. And even right now in the middle of a pandemic, wear your mask. Everything you do, have your mask on because I don't even want the cops stopping you for simple stuff. They start getting questioned by a cop that they're respectful. It is just absolutely mind blowing that you do this. For me, it's so unwritten, like it wasn't passed to me. Like I didn't know that we were supposed to tell our kids this stuff. I hear what you're saying. And I think it's a generational thing. And generationally, because you are biracial, your mom is not like your mom was raised by a black woman. And is, so then now you have a white woman raising you who didn't have the talk. I almost feel bad when my boys say they're about to walk out the door because I'm like grilling them because yeah. you are big, because you are a male, because your skin is dark. I think another piece is just being aware of what they look like to other people. Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing from you is just that 
there's this dichotomy of trying to raise your children to understand that black is beautiful, have a level of confidence around that, but then turning around at some point and having to say that you are beautiful and black, but just know that everybody doesn't think that. One of the things that was startling for me is when I went to think through how to have conversations with my Black sons about George Floyd, about police brutality, about unfairness and racism, there was this space of, I don't want to shatter their innocence. It makes sense. And it's brutal. But I want them to be very aware. I want them to know that this is a reality. Um, and so I don't have the fear of it shattering their innocence at all. I feel like I, for me, I feel like it would be a disservice. To some extent, dangerous, right? That's the concern. I feel like it's our responsibility. There's all of these stereotypes about Black parenting, right? We've seen them, and it's really ranging from our own comedic caricature of the strict Black mama, so like Medea, right? And then then we see the more negative portrayals, so like quote-unquote ghetto Black mom in a Walmart that's like spanking her kids that you see in the movies, Um, So this week in Black Study Hall, you and I read um, a publication by Dr. Anita Thomas, uh, and it was an article that she did back in 2017, and it was regarding positive parenting in African-American families. Shantae, what resonated with you? Sometimes we're hard on our kids just out of love, but out of like, you know, you got to be hard with them so that they're being, or what we consider raised right in other people's eyes. It's definitely interesting how, how deep this really runs. It's been this unique experience of being biracial and having a white mother and observing my black friends have parenting by a black mom and how much more I always felt that it was so much more strict and connecting that strict approach all the way back to slavery. And the fact that Black parents had to protect their children and make sure that they followed all of the rules and that they were more obedient than what children are even capable of just to stay alive. And how that translates to our experience today. And that it's not surviving on a cotton field but it's surviving amidst police brutality. It's the same rules that you're- It's the same rules. Yeah, it's just different time. When you've gotten the chance to kind of observe black parenting and maybe look at the people next to you, what is your experience with the differences? Well, I think it's, it's 
<laughs> quite interesting and, and funny. And it makes me think back to our childhood and growing up. Um, because of course I have a black mother and your mom, you're raised by a white mom. And so I think just even as a young child, five, you know, six, that you're being raised by a black mom versus a, a white parent. And when I say that, of course, there's always these rules before you can even leave the house, right? Like mm-hmm. the basic rules of safety, but then there's a whole bunch of chores and looking right before you even walk out the door, okay? So you wake up, you know you want to hit the streets with your friends. You got to make sure your chores are all done in the house immediately, you know, with a black mama. You got to uh, make sure that your clothes look good because when you walk out that door once again you're representing you know your family and then they give you the set of rules of safety and if you have a sibling most likely you got to take them up into a certain age the buddy system one of the rules too as a black mom don't eat anyone's food (laughs) don't go in people's houses you know just these things and you would see your white friends like literally living their what it looked like especially when you're a child their best life you know they didn't have any <laughs> rules they just went outside without shoes and ran around and you know they you know bought stuff from the ice cream man and and shared with everybody and it was just always looked really fun but then as you and then you know being you know I know my mom oh god like she had this whistle you know what I mean first of all you have to check in every hour but I don't even say when the street lights came on right before the street lights came on you know you had to be in the house and my mom she would have this whistle and all you know once again I grew up in Claremont which is considered a white area of you know, San Diego. And so, you know, here my mom would whistle for my sister and I, and we have to, you know, run in the house and all our little white friends were like, where are you going? (laughs) And, And they learned quickly. My mom was not playing, you know, and then, hey, becoming a teenager. And like, when I met you, you know, and, uh, I just remember always wanting to like kind of stay in at your house because we kind of had a little bit more freedom. I knew when I went to your house that we could, you know, sit outside at the pool with the boys. You know what I mean? There's no way my mom would have went for that. You know, uh, probably shouldn't talk about how like if we did school, we knew your house was a safe haven. <laughs> but, you know, it was just completely different. My mom it was always like a huge, like respecting, uh, you know, you make sure you walk in the house. I, you know, address your mom. Hi, Miss Stokes. How are you doing? You know, and um, just make sure that I'm being proper no matter where I am, you know, and um, what is your experience? What, what would you say? The it's difference so is? interesting listening to everything that you're saying and thinking of it from the lens of the article where it talks about appearances being so important and you can see it like dating back to slavery when you were representing the plantation and what the severe outcomes were for reflecting poorly right and then when I fast forward to today and thinking through all of these huge differences for what you know, a black mama meant, and then what I know my experience was with a white mom. And when you're talking about, like, just walking into a room and making sure that you greet someone, you can think through 
how over the years that evolved from a space of that being so vital to just survival. Even the need, I don't want to make it even seem like it's just something that was needed in slavery because when we think about the time after slavery and Jim Crow and all of this additional necessity to just be overly courteous and the need for Black parents to drill that in so young just so that you had a better chance of surviving. Obviously, it's a generational thing in how we all, everybody who had Black parents were raised, you don't even realize where it stems from, you know? And it's something that's just second nature to us. I remember I'm this biracial kid raised by this white mom and and very limited access to my black family. I had none of that skills training. And I know it sounds absolutely insane, right? But I was never raised to walk into a room and greet people. And I don't think it was until I was actually around you and having that influence of your mom and and you know, a black mama will call you out for any shit you do, and she does not care At if all. you are her biological child or not. She'd be like, Oh, you ain't gonna speak when you walk in the room? Honey, we call we call adults by, you know, miss or missus or mister and their last name. That was so foreign to me. <laughs> that was so foreign. I called my mom's friends what my mom called them, right? So it was, you know, her friends were Joan. I was like, hi, Joan. You know, so (laughs) that, (laughs) to me, it was just such an experience to have that exposure and to think for a minute. And I'm sure, you know, there's a generalization to this, right? There's probably incredibly strict white moms and there's probably, you know, white parents that for sure teach their kids something like calling uh, adults by their last name but but that was so startling to me I'm so happy that we're doing this because I'm even now like like thinking back on being a child and these thoughts that you know you you didn't really you couldn't put your finger on as a child so it's it's funny because being a black child in these strict um with these strict rules even as far as when it was time to go outside and play with your friends or whatnot, you always kind of was like, damn, why can't I be like, you know, all my white friends are running around. They got shoes on. Why do I get to have shoes on? Like there was things that, that we were like, why can't we do that? And then I think on the vice versa that there was uh, rules that as black children, we have to follow that, you know, our white friends are even biracial friends that were like, man, I crave some of that. So it's just funny how, when you're a kid, it would, wouldn't it be interesting if there was just this balance? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, maybe everybody needs one white mom and one, you know, black mom. I don't know. Well, yeah, we all need to be raised, you know, by a lesbian couple, a white mom and a black right. mom. <laughs> maybe we'll throw in, like, you know, a Latino dad and we'll all come out. It'll be a perfect blend. Perfect situation. <laughs> all types of roles. I think you... um raise just this really interesting point um and this again black study hall is not about 
just it's about a complete ex exploration of what all of these topics are there's no judgment there's no shade to anyone right it's just understanding purely our experiences but i remember watching this one kid this little white boy and we were in this park and it has like this heat this man-made like lake and it has this um section of it where there's rocks and kind of like a little man-made waterfall not very big the park is pretty big it's on school grounds and I remember just sitting and I remember watching this little white boy and he was running all around and I kept scene switch back to his mother to see what she was doing and she's just talking or chilling you know I think she might have had another kid and there was no sense every time I glanced back to her that she was worried. There was a sense of just watching, going back and forth and, and switching from watching him and observing this child and you know him running all over and climbing these rocks for this waterfall and getting so close to this man-made lake. And, and she is just over here in a completely different bubble. And I remember being the, in this space of non-judgment. I wasn't watching her to say, oh my God, you're such a bad parent. It was just watching her from such a curious state. And then I had this thought. And I realized in that moment, like, holy shit. What is that little white boy getting from running around free like that in the world? Like, that kid is probably going to come out to be like the most confident kid on the planet. At like four, he is running around and climbing up a waterfall. And I mean, for him to even do that in the first place, you know he's had this freedom for a while. But all I could think was, oh my God, how do I instill that level of confidence? How do I try and give my kids some of this freedom? How do I manage my fear how do i balance that with some with parenting that allows for them to to fly it's funny because as you speak i'm sitting here as the black mom like <laughs> clenching my pearls like he was doing what <laughs> and his mom was doing what but i also was thinking like god damn the freedom that the mom had like there is so much pressures that come with being a black mom. There's like, okay, think about the pressure of being a black child and then the pressures of being the pressure of being a black mom. So that black child's not gonna run and do that because that's completely against the rules. And if you get the clothes messed up that your mom got nice and straight, so when you guys walked out of that house that you look good and you represented the family. And then right before we got out of that car to go to that birthday party, you know what these rules are being a mom we're never just just chill we're always making sure that our kids are following every single rule damn i don't yeah. feel like i should have four more kids and try again i try don't know again. they could be really free and <laughs> right. confident um but i think and it's it's funny because i feel like some people might listen to this and say i see black kids outside being free all the time and you know i actually see the opposite i see you know 
black kids outside unsupervised and I actually feel like white moms are more likely to be helicopter parents um and again I think that's a that another layer in that is resources right because in many cases black parents because of that big wealth gap have this sense of being stretched from a resource standpoint the other piece is is that black parents are doing the best with these very very um intentional rules to keep their kids safe but they still have this gap in being able to do that from a time perspective and even from an energy perspective if you're working much many more hours to be able to pay the bills right that limits your resources and the amount of time that you can actually really actively and intentionally engage with your children even when we see little black kids outside um having a good time because we do you know what i mean i'm not saying i had a great childhood i felt like i did a, a lot of stuff um but you still always have those those rules so you're having a good time but then you're like it, and it would hit you too you're like ooh, like if my mom peeked out the window at this moment like am i playing my part and and it's something actually it's not even to be honest it's not even something that you feel is restrictive because it's just how you were raised i don't want it to come off like we weren't out living our best lives too but it was just under a different umbrella I feel like because we didn't necessarily have the complete freedom, you know what I mean, of the world to run out certain boundaries that you have to be kind of like an eyesight. I remember when Mike, this is when I was parenting, there was this little girl, a little white girl, and she came over to the apartments to play, you know, with all the kids. And she was little too. And her, um, it was starting to get dark. She was playing with my kids. First of all, she wanted to come in my house. And I was like, um, no, ma'am, <laughs> I didn't talk to your mama. Like, you know, I'm not just, even though I know my house is safe, I don't allow my kids just to go in someone's house. A black mama worrying and a parent, someone else is like, the same rules we have for our kids, we have for whatever little white kid our <laughs> black kid brings to the door. No, ma'am, you ain't coming to my house. I don't know your mama. You ain't got shoes on your feet. Like this is not happening, right? But I told her my kid, I allowed my kids to continue to play with her. But I told the little girl, you must go home before the, it gets dark outside is what I told her. So the kids played. My kids started to come in because it was starting to get dark. And I still seen the little white girl. So the little white girl walked my kids to the house and she was younger even than my kids. And then she went to continue to play. And I was like, it, in the depths of me, it didn't make me feel good because that's not what I allowed for my kids. So I was like, um, I'm going to walk you home. And I know she kept, she kept looking at me weird and maybe she felt uncomfortable that I was like walking her to her house. I don't know. She's probably like, 15-ish now, you know what I mean? Yeah, so she's like navigating, she's probably driving and navigating yeah, right? the entire city of San Diego. Why my kids are Ubering. Even though Black parents have these rules for their children, ultimately they also are strapped for resources. And so to some extent might not have the babysitter where, you know, I think we talked about a little bit in a lot of families for for black parents um the older sibling is the one that's responsible for the younger sibling but now we have karens 
And now we have police stopping Black children, right, right, out in the world more often. Even when we want to be free out in this space and, and kids want to be free out in this space and get this independence and this time to just be children and just be, play outside of these, outside of their parents going the extra mile, Black parents going the extra mile to make sure that their kids are behaving and that their kids are doing things that are going to keep them safe because we know historically that if they make a wrong move, they're held accountable more often. But now we have this layer of, of people that see Black children out in the street playing and they're stopped for it. If it's not a police officer, it's a white person stopping them or confronting them about something so minimal. Absolutely. The other day um, I was taking Journey home and he has autism and he's now 18 and he's living in an adult um, group home with people with autism. And it's in this complete white neighborhood, complete, you know, so I'm driving him home and I, uh, there's this beautiful park as you start driving in and I always admire it. And, and um, so I was telling Journey just how beautiful I thought that park was and journey told me he's like I walk over there every single day I was like oh that's great so then we continue to drive and I say journey do you feel safe over in this neighborhood and his first answer was this is a white neighborhood yeah I feel safe I once again clutch my pearls and I was like you know and then he looks at me before I can even say anything he was like oh the fact that it's a white neighborhood I probably should be more worried because like I said journey is a big black young man and so then he continued he was on with the story and he was telling me the other day he was walking a couple weeks ago he was walking back from the park and you know he has his headphones in and um he looks over and it was a, a white man that was in there and he was telling journey i know you broke into my car why were you trying to get in my car and journey was like i i didn't i wasn't it makes me think of trayvon martin these white men you say you're scared, but then you're going after them. I think that is such an interesting point, Shantae. It's that in all of these different scenarios, the argument is Black people are so scary. All of this implicit bias, right, that we know is true about how people in general underlyingly the underlying thoughts and stereotypes about black people are associated with negative things and and that they're scarier right but you're so right there's a sense of but we really can't be that scary because we're constantly accosted by people that boundary is constantly being pushed despite this quote-unquote fear of black people. So what what are they scared of? Are you just scared of losing your power? Okay. 
So Shantae, tell us about Journey. Journey is my second born child, my first son. Um, Journey was born, he's, he's 18 years old now. He was born in February of 2002. And it's funny, his, his name is perfect for him. Sometimes I always wondered if I would have named him Steve, like, (laughs) you know, but quickly, the interesting thing about Journey, when he was born, I remember looking him in the eyes for the very first time and knowing something was different. It was probably around age, um, close to two year and a a year and a half that we started noticing like behavioral issues. And that we got him tested ultimately when he was, you know, a little bit older, probably about three or so, um, he was diagnosed with autism. I would say the hardest times with journey, um, time period was from age, starting age 16, because now he's big. Now journey's about six feet, you know, he's 200 and some odd pounds. There were, there were scary times for us. And there was times as his mom that I had to call the police which I was so fearful. The few times I had to call the police, I always, number one, mentioned that he had autism. So they knew that. They knew what they were stepping into. I always mentioned he's a child. He's big, but he's a child. One thing I will say about Journey, even in his troubles, and he always somehow, thank God, remembered when a cop came, you stopped. And they called the police on him. And I will never forget this night either. I got a call that my son was tased by the police officer and, and he was being rushed to the hospital. And I remember walking back into uh, the, the hospital room where my son was because um, he had been tased in the rain and he had fallen. You know, when they tase you, you go down. Um, and he, he had, the side of his face was just covered in mud and, 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 and you know, dirt and all kinds of stuff. And he was wet. And when I walked into that room, I seen the same face I looked at the day I gave birth to him. And he looked up at me and he said, mom, why is life so hard? And it broke my heart. There was an incident where, you know, unfortunately, in one of Journey's uh, autism behavior situation, he broke my nose. And I remember even with blood rushing down my face, even with everything that was going on, when I seen eight cop cars driving down that street and I knew that my son was at the end of it, I, the first thing I did, forget myself, is I ran down that street. And I ran down that street to make sure that my son was going to remember what I told him, that as soon as officers come, you stop. You know, the officers all jumped out. You know, they had guns drawn. He put his hands up immediately. And at this time, he was 17 years old. And um, they took him down with no incident. But being a mom, and no matter what, you know, harm I had on myself at the time, no matter what, my first priority was making sure that my Black son was going to be okay. Yeah. It's honestly so incredible because it's just, it's not one story of guns being drawn. It's your son being tased. Absolutely. And, and so every time we see these videos of other people and the stuff happening, it is that much more real to me. There's all this narrative, Shantae, that comes from the other side of this 
where they say, well, people shouldn't be resisting arrest. If that black guy didn't resist arrest and if he was in compliance with the officer, then he'd be fine. And that doesn't even save you. But I tell my kids to do everything the officer says because maybe you'll have a 5% more chance of coming out unharmed. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's also this intersect with our children that have a disability, like autism, right? And there's obviously a spectrum in terms of children affected or adults affected with autism, but in some cases, they're even nonverbal. And we can teach our, our children to, to be compliant and to not resist arrest, and they still might be killed. But then there's another level and layer with our children that are unable to follow through with some of those basic commands, even in the face of a police officer with a gun. And ultimately, it speaks to still a need to have some level of reform to accommodate for those situations, because we are seeing that more and more. I had drills with my kids. You do drills, Shante? Absolutely. And it's one of the smartest things I've ever done. A necessary tool. And it's kept your son alive. It's kept my son alive. But should you even need to? Is it sad that we have to? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And on the flip side, I wonder, do white people have that experience? Do they understand the privilege of not having to do drills with their children? It's funny that you say that because after the George Floyd um, situation and after the whole protesting and writing, my boss came into work and he asked me, what did you think about it? What do you think about everything that's going on? And I said to him, when your son, because he has a son who is 20 years old, my son is 18. He has a son that's 20 and he's a big, solid white kid. He's tall, he's white, but he's solid, similar to, to Journey. Um, I said, when he goes out to hang out with his friends, I said, what do you say to him before you leave? And he says, son, have a good time. Now you may see the predicament I am in. Should I do drills with my children? And even if I don't go that far, I definitely have to have the talk, right? In Arizona, where I live, we are ranked fourth in the country for the rate of police killings. And black people are killed at three times the rate compared to white people. With so much narrative around compliance and quickly following every police officer's command, it seems like there's no room for error. And for my black sons, I know that they are so much more likely to have an encounter with police. Like every mom, I want to protect them from even the slightest chance of harm. But what are the implications of having this talk with them? How does it change the way that they see the world? 
right now my kids are feverishly waving to every police officer they see cross our path. Police officers are their heroes right now. And the thought of having to be honest about this is crushing. Today we have barely scratched the surface of what it means to parent a black child in America. To my white friends, I'm gonna be vulnerable with you. Though I speak about this with my friends of color all the time, it's uncomfortable to speak in color to you. But here I am, being fearless. I wanna know, do you have a talk with your children? If you did, how would it be different? And if you'll start, what will you say?